0: Hi, I'm Jonathan Capehart, and welcome to Cape Up. Over the last two years, Congresswoman Val Demings of Florida has had a front row seat to history. She serves on the House Intelligence Committee, the House Judiciary Committee, and she was one of the seven House impeachment managers who argued for the conviction of President Trump. And now, Demings' name is being bandied about as a possible vice presidential nominee. Who is she? I totally forgot to ask her about her Harley, but I did ask her about Trump, Florida, her support of Joe Biden, and yes, whether she wanted to be considered for vice president. Hear it all right now. Congresswoman Val Demings, thank you very much for being on the podcast. It's great to be with you. So let's just jump right on in. You endorsed Vice President Biden. You are from Florida. Can he carry Florida um, in November, can a Democrat win Florida in November?
1: I have no doubt that a Democrat can win Florida. The numbers in Florida support that. Uh, but what we're facing is just a matter of turnout. And so our job is to make sure that we turn Democratic voters out. You know, when we looked at um, Super Tuesday, I think if we watch the voters and listen to the voters... The voters are deciding. And I think on Super Tuesday, they were strong. They were powerful. I think they sent a clear message about who they believe can lead our country and move a democratic agenda forward. We saw every demographic turnout. And as you know, Florida is a very diverse state. Um, And I think if what has happened, what happened on Super Tuesday is any indication of what will happen during Florida's primary. I think that we're going to be in really good shape.
0: Now, I sort of bounced ahead. Um, I did mention you endorsed Vice President Biden, but there's still a contest. I mean, right now, Senator, Ber- Senator Bernie and you know Sanders what? is in the race.
1: You, you know what? What I just feel so hopeful about. We know what we have experienced the last three years, almost four now. And there is no way American families can go through another four years of what we've seen. Um, and so, you know, when I look at the Democratic field, and as you all know, several of my colleagues were in that race. What I knew, and we heard it quite a bit, but I believed it to be true, is that anyone on the Democratic side would be better than what we have. And now we're basically down to two individuals, who I believe, if you look at what they believe in and what they fought for, then certainly uh, will be in better shape. I just happen to believe that one of them, Vice President Biden, really is the one to carry the agenda forward and really um, unify our country, which is so desperately needed right now. How
0: how damaging was it or is it to Senator Sanders, the comments that came out from the, the old video of him praising Fidel Castro, and then even his defense of his comments about Fidel Castro, again, from a Florida lens. Was that damaging to his effort?
1: Well, I think, once again, you listen to the people. And I think the people and those who represent them spoke loudly and clearly. And, you know, I, I won't, certainly will not guess about what Senator Sanders said or what he meant to say. But what I do know is that several people who live in our very diverse state were upset by those comments. And so, you know, we're in the middle of a race. We're gonna let the let Floridians decide. Um, but I think, you know, when you look at Vice President Biden, he has been in the trenches fighting for issues that we care about for a long time, fighting for issues that before it was popular, quite frankly, to fight for them like marriage equality, issues like climate control. Certainly he's been a unifier along the way. And I love what Whip Clyburn said, I think most of all. He said, we know Joe, but more important, Joe knows us. And that's because he's been there fighting for those issues and building those relationships a long time. He didn't wait until he decided to run for the most powerful position uh, in the country. And so I think, uh, like I said, I just, I go back to watch the voters. Mm -hmm. I know there's a lot of talk about the establishment. I quite frankly find that I'm not quite sure what that means. When voters turn out in great numbers, uh, we certainly know how the African-American turnout was led by South Carolina. Um, I don't know what the establishment means, but I certainly know what... People going to the polls mean, and we saw that. Well, uh, uh, to that
0: point, uh, because I just sent out uh, sent out a tweet. Um, recently where I was saying to people, look, if you're coming on my Twitter feed and saying that African-American voters were, quote-unquote, brainwashed into not voting for for Bernie Sanders, you're going to be automatically blocked. And I sort of have that same mindset when it comes to this accusation that people who are not voting for Bernie Sanders, they are part of the, quote-unquote, establishment. They are part of the, quote-unquote, elite and therefore are part of the problem which to my mind is an insult to black voters.
1: Black voters, number one, uh, I am a black voter, and we care about issues that everybody else cares about. We care about economic development. We care about health care. We care about uh, prescription drugs being affordable. We care about the lack of affordable housing in this country. We care about good uh, quality education in in the public school arena. Um, And so And we also are very loyal voters. We care about relationship. And as I just said, it's one thing when we know you and you know us. And I just think that it really, I don't know what the reason is, but I would say maybe apparently you really haven't taken enough time to get to know black voters and what we care about. When you look to every other reason that there must be some conspiracy or it's the establishment doing this. No, black voters are very sure of what we want and what we need and what our communities need as well. And um, we're very loyal to those who have been in the trenches fighting with us before it was popular to do so.
0: And also wide-eyed. I remember talking to my mother and my Aunt Gloria, asking them when there was the Bloomberg boomlet and my aunt gloria was 100 percent behind vice president biden has been from the beginning my mother was leaning towards bloomberg i asked them both well what about stop and frisk both of them said in essence stop and frisk has been around forever no candidate running for president no white candidate running for president has been 100 percent perfect we need to get rid of donald trump and that's...
1: and Jonathan, let me say this. Um you know, I served in law enforcement for twenty seven years. yeah, you were the
0: I was police the chief police chief. That's in, absolutely Orlando.
1: correct. And while certainly uh, I have been committed to criminal justice reform, not only as someone who worked at the police department in terms of building relationships and and really trying to um, enforce the laws and protect the innocent in a fair and humane and equitable way, right? But we also have to remember, and so we still need to do that work. Criminal justice reform is an ever, is an unending uh, process and goal. But we also have to make sure when we're talking about those issues that African-American communities care about, let us not forget that the overwhelming majority of black people have never had a negative encounter with a police officer. So, I mean, I, and while, so while it's at the top of the list is one of those issues that we all need to be engaged in, we also are not going to let other people define or decide what's important to us. Maybe our top issue is jobs, having decent jobs and making a decent way so we can keep a roof over our head and food on the table. And while it is on the list, African-Americans decide what's best for them. Certainly, um, and I think Mary Bloomberg has said it loud and clearly. And I think the police commissioner at that time, I would hope, would agree that stop and frisk was a bad idea. Nobody's trying to defend it. Nobody's trying to make excuses for it. I know New York had a homicide problem. And I think the initial goal was to reduce that homicide rate. The way they chose to do it was wrong. But the American people, including black families, led by black families, are concerned about issues that, kitchen table issues that everybody's concerned about. And that's improving the quality of life for them right now while they're living in the greatest country in the world. And I do believe this is the greatest country in the world, but we need to start holding America to its promise. I had a conversation with someone this morning about um uh, criminal justice reform, and we were talking specifically about the nineteen ninety four crime bill. A large part of the crime bill was about community oriented policing mm-hmm. to put police officers in communities where they could further build relationships, work within our schools, and so the you know the majority of time that children of color saw the police were not when it was uh, you know something negative um but I also talked about how. The criminal criminal justice reform also focuses on economic development, quality education, housing—those social ills that cause decay in communities in the first place. When people have to call the police, something has already gone drastically wrong in that home or in that community, and we we we, uh, we we have this tendency to let America off the hook. For the of the promise of America, which is to, you ought to be able to live up to your full potential in this country. When we look at poor crime-written communities, it's a result of the lack of economic development in those communities. We look at the majority of people who are in prisons across this country, the overwhelming majority of them did not graduate high school. Could it be as simple as if we uh, put resources into programs that help people of color, little boys and girls of color, graduate high school, could the answer be that simple to help them have a better way of life and live up to their full potential? So we can start at the end of the story with the police, but I would prefer to start at the beginning of the story and why we have not really seriously addressed social ills in communities of color like we should in this country.
0: Let me um, bring the conversation back to to Florida and put the lens on President Trump, because from what I understand, he is all over Spanish radio in central Florida with ads talking about socialism in Venezuela. Um, What is the impact of that and how do Democrats combat that?
1: You know, my my husband likes to say, the best another indicator, former police chief another of Orlando. former police chief, former sheriff of Orange That's County, right. and now the mayor of Orange County. He grew up in, in Orlando, Florida. I grew up in Florida, so I know Florida well. But he likes to say the best indicator of future performance is to look at past performance. Donald Trump I was going to say since January 20th of 2017 when he was sworn in, but it happened long before that on the campaign trail. And even before that, before he even entered politics, he has been a divider. He has said racist, derogatory things about people of color long before he entered into politics. He didn't change his spots when he entered into politics. And certainly he has now become the divider and chief, I don't know whether he thinks people of color, black and brown people, are not paying attention, or maybe he believes that we have short memories. But what's etched in my memory is this man who has a very inhumane policy of separating families at the southern border. We have a person who says that to basically about a white supremacist rally, that there were good fine people on both sides. So if he thinks now that he is uh, willing to do anything, I think there are no limits. We know there are no guardrails with him. Now that he's desperate for re-election, if he thinks that black and brown families in Florida have forgotten what he's already done, Best indicator of future performance is a look at past performance. He can run all the ads he wants to. It does not erase reality. Those pictures that are etched in our brains of his inhumane treatment and derogatory remarks about black and brown people.
0: Well, let's keep talking about him because you have had to deal with some of the other things um, that he's done as president, as both. A, a member of the Intelligence Committee, a member of the Judiciary Committee. You were one of the House impeachment managers. That gave you enormous insight into what was going on. Do we in the, the, the public, who's not, we're not privy to everything that you know, um, have we seen and heard everything that there is to see and hear about what happened?
1: No, you have not. Uh, remember, this whole issue about what happened with the president and his attempts to coerce Ukraine were in this intelligence space. And that's why the intelligence community or the intelligence committee led the investigation. And we know that the intelligence committee is basically entrusted with America's secrets to make sure that we keep our nation safe and make sure that those in the intelligence community have the resources and tools that they need to keep us safe part of the job is also to make sure that our military god forbid if we had to go to war has the resources the tools and knowledge that they need to go to war and win imagine what it would what kind of message it would send to our friends and allies around the world if the most powerful military in the world was not capable of winning a war. And so, no, the American people has, have certainly not heard all that we learned as a part of the impeachment inquiry, as a member of the Intelligence Committee in particular, and the um, Judiciary Committee. But our role, uh, certainly through judiciary, uphold the rule of law, defend the Constitution, I've taken four oaths in my lifetime, two of them I took as a police officer, one as a, a young patrol officer and one as the chief of police. I've taken four oaths since I've been here, two as a member of Congress. I've taken both of those oaths extremely seriously, that I would protect and defend the Constitution of the United States against all enemies, foreign and domestic. We have a president who used the power of his office, and it's, it's just disgraceful, I think. You know, I'm an African-American female who grew up in the South. The president has been given a tremendous opportunity. The American people have entrusted their hopes and dreams into his hands. And he has abused that authority and abused it to try to cheat in the 2020 election. And I look at voting and You know, a person's right to vote is really one of the true last things that really levels the playing field. He tried to cheat to win. And then when he was caught, he used that same authority to obstruct our ability to investigate. But even through all of that, through career Foreign Service officers who had the courage enough and loved our country enough to come forward and give testimony during the impeachment trial at the end of the the hearings, at the end of the hearings, the evidence against the president was overwhelming. Um, The fact that the Senate at the end of the trial chose not to hold him accountable is shameful. And when history looks back on this moment, um, I think, The senators who found him not guilty, grandchildren and great-grandchildren will ask the question why. Uh, But we will continue to provide oversight. We will continue to do the work before us. When we said during the trial and long before the trial that no one is above the law, I have enforced the law and now I write the laws. And I know for a fact no one is above the law. So we will continue to provide the necessary oversight to hold this administration um, accountable because the American people deserve that.
0: You became a breakout star during the impeachment process. I don't know if you if you realize that, um, but did that catch you by surprise? The amount of tension attention that you received as a result of your participation? You know, it really
1: did. I did not ask to be an impeachment manager. I, matter of fact, when the speaker called me and asked if I was interested in being a manager, I said that I had helped to advance the ball down the field, and if I did not get to take the ball into the end zone, that was okay, because I knew I played a critical role as a member of the two committees with jurisdiction. And it was really her sole responsibility to pick the best team that she could to prosecute the president of the United States. And she said, well, I want you to be a manager. And I just did what I've always done. Um, I really do believe in something bigger than myself, and certainly this was. And I spent every bit of energy that I had Focused on presenting the best case that we could, to give the American people a clear, honest view of the president's wrongdoing, and then remove any excuses that the Senate had to not convict. Now they chose not to, but I think it was pretty clear to the American people that the president abused his his authority and obstructed our ability to what, hold him accountable.
0: So, since I have you, I have to ask you this this question: Did you? guys on, among the house impeachment managers did you have rehearsals did you go through um yeah rehearsals because it's it was like clockwork well, and, and everyone i know is were reading from things but...
1: you know i when i was selected to be a house manager i was humbled by that and considered it an honor and we didn't know who the other managers were i asked <laughs> so you and show up the, in a room, yeah. And the speaker would not tell would not us reveal who, until you all met for the would first time. Neither her staff, and so we had no idea. But when I looked at the team that she put together, I thought it was brilliant. And, um, you know, it, I think everybody just brought something unique in terms of experience and uh, style to the table. And we spent, and and I have to give credit to um, Oversight Judiciary and Intel staff, because they did the overwhelming majority of the work, the research, you know, um, putting our packets together. And then they gave them to the managers, and then we put our own style. We added some. We took some away. It had to be in our voice so it would be credible and Believable, we added our own voice to it. And then we just went for it with the confidence that you were chosen for a time such as this. You're exactly where you're supposed to be, you're the firewall for the American people and just total dishonesty and chaos and step into the position that has been has that has been given to you and that's what we did and so you know we would we, long days as you mm-hmm. saw but when we were not on the senate floor we were reviewing our packages and t- making our changes and in terms of prep we did have some prep sessions but there was very little time for that mm-hmm. we just had to do the work the tremendous work that was before us in a very Confident way
0: and last question, because one of the one of the results of your becoming a star among the public is that now your name is mentioned as a possible vice presidential candidate with whomever the democratic nominee will be. you hope it's Vice President Biden, you endorsed him. Is that something you'd be interested in?
1: you know number one um, i grew up the daughter of a maid and a janitor. And I talk to children, young people throughout the country about they're not defined by their last name or how much money they have in the bank or the color of their skin or their sexual orientation or the sometimes mean and vicious words that others have to say about them. They're defined by what's inside of them They're defined by who they are and the special gifts and talents that God has already given them. And they need to reach their full potential, not just for themselves, but because the world needs them to do that. This nation needs them to do that. When I think about my own story, as I said, I grew up the daughter of a maid and a janitor. I grew up poor black and female in the South. Someone who was told a lot of times I wasn't the right color or gender. I didn't have enough money. I didn't have a famous last name. Um, My maiden name, a butler, appeared on no buildings. But my mother pushed me and said, no, you can make it. If you work hard and play by the the rules, you can be anything you want to be and do anything you want to do. That's the message I send to children all over this nation. So the fact that my name is being called in such a special way for such an important position during such a critical time It's such an honor, and that's what the American dream is all about. I picked tough jobs, right? I I was a social worker working with broken children and broken families, trying to put them back together again, and we won some. I served as a law enforcement officer, and I have the the, the battle scars to prove it. It's a tough job. And now I'm a member of Congress, and my name is being called um, on the list of VP candidates. I will continue to serve this country in whatever way I'm needed. And I will end like I began, watch the people and listen to what the people have to say. They will decide.
0: Congresswoman Val Demings from the great state of Florida. Thank you very much for being on the podcast. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Cape Up. Tune in every Tuesday. You can find us on Apple Podcasts and Stitcher. And how about doing me a huge favor? Subscribe, rate, and review us. I'm Jonathan Capehart of The Washington Post. You can find me on Twitter at CapehartJ.